Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Games We Love, a weekly video game podcast focused on positive and fun discussion, industry news, and more. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and I am happy to be joined this week by my co-hosts, Kevin. Hello, everyone. Brad. Hello. And Jesse. Hello. Well, gang, it's been about a week and a half since any of us were together because we had to record last week's episode a little early. So nice to see everyone tonight. It's good to catch up. I'm excited to talk about some games for sure. And Kevin, you have done something game adjacent recently that I kind of wanted to hear about first, if you don't mind, because I'm extremely curious how this went down. So tell us about your interview opportunity. I'd be happy to. Uh, yeah, I got to do something really fun. Uh, we have Fan Expo St. Louis in town this weekend, uh, which is our comic convention. And uh, some people in St. Louis may know it as Wizard World. They were acquired by Fan Expo last year. And so now they've got more conventions under their umbrella all over. So this is going to be our officially first ever Fan Expo. But we've had the convention here several years. And we always have a lot of big names that come through, whether they be actors, comic book creators, artists and some video game folks. And I had the honor of speaking to the voice of Mario for the last 31 years, Charles Martinet. And it was quite the experience. Wow. So when you say original Mario, you're talking like NES games, he was making the sounds? Well, there there was no voice for the NES, right? Because they had right, just okay. the very simple sounds. Uh, but they actually, so uh, I've got an interview of, we, I spoke to him for about 30 minutes. He is one of the nicest people I've ever interviewed. He, it's such a genuine person who loves what he's doing. And even more, what was really impressive was the joy and the positivity that he puts into his work and puts into everything he does. And he has such an optimistic, positive view on life and meeting fans and what the character means to him. So I'm really excited to share this interview. It will be up uh, It will be up on the website that I write for, ReviewSTL.com. And I'm hoping, fingers crossed, hoping to share some audio clips from the interview on this podcast at a future date. But yeah, he he uh, actually went in and interviewed for, he didn't know Mario, he didn't play the NES games, but this was around the time of, uh, it was before even the Super Nintendo game was out, and he went in for an interview of a kind of a, a real-time virtual reality type of Mario simulation that was at CES, and so he would put on a motion tracking headset like you would think of i mean they're more modern now of course but like you would see video game actors doing performance motion capture uh, it was a very early version of that and he would wear the headset and have a microphone and he would talk into it and there was an, a real-time rendered 3d mario head at ces and he would be talking to the crowd and, and and getting feedback and saying what's your name and he would he would answer them and everything so it was really neat for i think this was ces 1992 uh, if I'm not mistaken, wow. but so it was really early and such a neat thing. And then uh, he got a phone call from someone that worked at Nintendo and said, Mr. Miyamoto would like you to be the voice of Mario in the video games. And when that happened, there were two games and I had both of these. I don't know if any of you had them, but there were computer games. One was Mario teaches typing 
and the other was Mario Gaming Gallery, where it had dominoes and a backgammon, a kind of version of Yahtzee or what we know as Yahtzee. It was this video game suite. And uh, so around 1994, 1995. And then from there, I mean, the big one, which I know, Aaron, you're going to appreciate this, Mario 64. Uh, the noises, yeah. right? The noise, the mm-hmm. let's go, woohoo, all that That's stuff. part of the like, game. He, he, inv- he invented it. He gave the character a voice where Mario never had a voice before in the in the video games. And he has done it ever since for 31 years. We're talking about Mario 64, the Mario Kart games. He does Luigi, he, Waluigi. Uh, but but yeah, he, he has tons of credits. Look him up on IMDb. He has like 200 acting credits and I think 100 and something or, or mostly Mario and those characters. But yeah, really, really great guy. I had such a fun time talking with him. I'm, again, really excited to share this interview. But this is a voice that even if you don't know the name Charles Martinet, you know the voice. If you've played any Mario games from Mario Talks, and uh, that's him. And and he continues to be the voice. And so it was really exciting. And, and he was so nice. He actually recorded an audio clip for my son, Ryan. I told him that that my son was so excited that I was interviewing him and he was just went ahead right ahead and, and made a little voice clip for him. So really fun interview, a, a nice guy and and such a huge part of gaming history. That is awesome, man. That's very, very cool. Yeah, I look forward to reading that whole thing. Where'd you say reviews STL? Com? Yeah, ReviewSTL.com. Right? The website's Review, Review St. Louis. Okay. Uh, a few of us are in St. Louis, and uh, that is the main outlet that I have for movie reviews, interviews, entertainment news, and then Real Spoilers is the movie podcast. So two separate things that I've got going on, aside from my video game podcast as well. <laughs> right, right. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, look forward to reading that one, and hopefully we can get some audio from it. I'd love to hear his voice. That's amazing. Absolutely. Well, the the listener question this week, the one I wanted to talk about, uh, this is not actually from a listener. This is from me. So consider it me asking you guys, because I'm curious how this applies for you compared to how it applies for me. And remember, listeners, if you want to ask us a question, just hit us up in the Discord. There's a specific channel. You can drop your questions in there, or you can find us on any of the Games We Love social media channels and leave a question there, and we will be happy to answer it on one of our shows. But for this week, I want to talk about this. How many games are you playing at any given time? And how do you balance that? Because it can be very challenging. I know we're all at different points in our lives. Some of us have spouses and boyfriends and girlfriends, and some of us don't. Some of us have kids and younger kids, and jobs have different types of requirements. So I'm just curious how you each personally balance your game time. I'll I'll let you guys go, and then I'll kind of share them out at the end. But... Brad, why don't you tell us first? Yeah, it really depends on what kind of mood I'm in. If it's a narrative-driven game like the Uncharted games that I've been talking about for the last several weeks, I just do one at a time. I I can't play more than one narrative game at the at the same time because it's just I'm hyper-focused on one at a time. If I need to take a break from them, I can pick up Tetris or Overwatch or, or something to just change it up. But when it comes to the games that I really like, um, the Naughty Dog games and, and The Witcher and what have you, it's generally, for the most part, one at a time. So, yeah, I've kind of changed that a little bit lately. Um, as we'll talk about here soon, I just got Game Pass for the first time and picking up some things just to try them out. But a lot of the times I, I pick up a game and I play it to completion before I move on. So whatever mood I'm in, really. Cool. What about you, Jesse? How do you handle bouncing back and forth between games? Or do you? 
Yeah, I definitely do. A hundred percent. I don't think it's possible for me to play one game at a time uh, with any sort of consistency. Um, I'll play one game long enough during my sh- usually short hyper-focus moments, but I usually, I don't know, I think probably, uh, like right now, I've been going away at my time in Porsche, so I've been playing it for about, I don't know, three weeks now, I, I think, and between my time in Porsche, I've also played a couple other games, including uh, Two Point Hospital, which I was previously hyper-focused on before I started my time in Porsche, and um I also started to play a little bit of Dragon Quest Builders as well, and kind of went back to my time in Porsche, and then uh, I also started playing a new game of the, I forget the full name of it, but it's like the Shadow of Mordor, like the Lord of the Rings game. Super gory, by the way. I close my eyes most of the time. (laughs) um, But I mean, it's good. It's good. It's really impressive gameplay uh, as far as like the looks of it so i hop around a lot and i'll probably be going back to you know the survivalist game in between as well as uh pokemon arceus and several of the other ones i'll just like you know randomly start picking up another game in between but right now i think my main focus is my time in porsche where i you know will jump back to that one after like a you know a day or so of another game in general i guess what i'm getting from you is that you basically don't have any semblance of (laughs) A stru- you're not trying to like beat a game and then go to a new game. You very oh, no. much no. are just on a I, whim. That's really kind of how you. I follow the dopamine. Things. Is that right? Okay, <laughs> I follow the that, dopamine. That makes sense. Okay, cool. <laughs> Kevin, what about you? How do you uh, balance your gaming? You know, the only rule because I don't get to finish many games, I like to play a lot of new games. But the only tried and true rule i have is i don't like to play sequels before the original games i'm kind of a stickler i broke my rule for rogue legacy because i needed to play the second one and be a part of that but generally like when we were talking personally just in a in the chat we were talking about games like final fantasy and moving on especially if if there is any kind of a story connection or whatnot but i i want to know the games that came before i want to know if the fighting system is better or if you know what they built it upon or 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 what what I don't like about changes they made, right? And so I I do like to play them in order of when they were released, and whether or not I finish them, I at least like to get a good amount of playtime in, and I would hope to finish. But as far as time goes, I just try to work it in where I can because I I do have two kids, I work throughout the day slash watching kids when I need to, and I don't really have a set time. Like I don't do like in the evenings between certain hours. Basically, if I take a lunch break and I want to play a little bit of a game or after I get all my work done at night, sometimes I play an hour at night and then fall asleep or if I get hooked on a game two or three hours before bed. But I basically just try to fit in gaming wherever I can because that, in addition to movies, which is another passion, as everyone knows, that's another one of my relaxation type hobbies where, like, you know, if I have free time and I don't have anything else going on, I try to throw on a game. And this podcast is definitely getting me to play more games. I I really enjoy that because variety and my attention span with I know that I'm probably not going to be able to finish an entire game and roll credits on the ones I'm starting but I do like to be able to see what's out there and be a part of the conversation and that makes it a lot more fun for this podcast too to talk to you guys about the games you're playing yeah absolutely you know I have much more free time than most people I know and just lucky to do that and so even with my strong focus on movies as well like yourself due to the other podcasting duties and such. I still get in lots and lots of games. I am very much like Brad. 
So I play, a, well, maybe more in one way. I'm like Brad in that I only play one type of one game that's terribly worded at a time. So I can only be in one narrative game at a time. I can only be in one RPG at a time. I can only be in one kind of indie game at a time. But I'm almost always rolling through multiples of those, right? And then I always will break my rule and I'll drop off of a big RPG in the middle of it, pick up another RPG to start. I love starting games. That's one of my biggest problems is that I adore the first 10 hours of games. I love to try everything that's new because I want to experience what's out there and the innovation and what's changed. And so it's tough for me sometimes to finish things because I'm like, ooh, shiny, something released this week, and I want to try that now. And then I forget to go back to the old thing or I lose time. But I'm almost always balancing three to four to five games at a time. I just try my hardest to keep them in different style of games so that if I have a you know specific dopamine rush like Jesse for my sim, then I can go to X game. If I have a rush for a different type, I'll go to a different game. You know, as I've gotten older and changed my gaming style, because when I used to have more free time, I would I would play a whole Final Fantasy game and roll credits before I moved on to something else. But as I've gotten older and I have less time to dedicate to gaming, I do find myself more like Aaron is, and I want to start different games. And, and I also find myself appreciating the artistry and the creation of games so i want to play more games because i want to see the artwork and i want to hear the scores and i want to experience the the game making and and the development side of things and so even if i don't finish a game i still like to take in all those different styles and the different mechanics uh when i get into some of the games i've played this week i'll I'll explain some of those things and, and what i appreciate about these new games that i'm able to try and so even if i don't beat them i at least can see what people are doing and how they're changing the way certain types of games are, are made and how they're evolving and i think that's really fun to see what people are out there doing yeah i definitely agree with that Let's go ahead and let's talk about games. Let's get into some of the stuff that we have been playing the last week, week and a half or so. And so, Jesse, you kind of let off a little bit with some of the things that you've been playing. So why don't you tell us what has gotten the most tension from you here in the last bit of time? Yeah, so I guess I already kind of answered that. I'm sorry. So definitely my time in Porsche. Um, I think I checked, and I'm pretty sure I'm at... Last I checked, I was like at 65 hours in or so, and I am currently at 80 hours uh, for my time in Portia. <laughs> for comparison, I have 65 hours on the survivalist, which I feel like I played forever, so I think that says a lot. <laughs> what kind of game is my time in Portia? I, I actually have it downloaded somewhere. I think I may have started it at one point, but what do you do in it? So you do a lot. So it's kind of, there's a lot of different types of games that if you've played Animal Crossing, there's a lot of aspects of Animal Crossing in there. There's a lot of aspects of um, Harvest Moon in there as well. I think it's like a, a great crossover between those, those two. Um, plus a lot of different like special unique features that obviously it has. As far as um, the kind of game, like I'd have to look up to see like what it's technically designated as. I'm terrible at like knowing what games are, are what, unless it's really super obvious, but it's just like a, I, I call it like a builder game. I don't know. I don't know how, how you would define it. Are you kind of on a farm? You're on an island or a large plot of land and you get a house and it is 
like a, a farm-ish type area, but it's like a small little town. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm trying to see I think I played is. this about a year ago. It sounds familiar because I know there's like a little house and it reminded me because I think yeah. when you start, don't they give you a mission to go like grow a crop or, or something like that? In this game, at least, um, that was not my first mission, but you can grow crops. Okay. And yeah. Um, yeah, so let me see. What is this real quick? It's a single player. It's on Steam and uh, Nintendo Switch. So it is labeled as RPG open world life sim. So okay. that's the kind of game it is. <laughs> but yeah, you can Perfect. like you can mine in the mines. You can. Uh, so what is your goal? What have you been doing in the game yourself? Like with your main character or whatever? What what have you accomplished? Say in the last week or so? What is your? Yeah. So yeah, my main focus has been this past week has been completing quests or commissions is what they're called to make money so that I can expand my plot of land and you can increase the level also the size of like your house and like the uh, workshop area so you can build bigger items there's a bunch of little side quests and you can build relationships with the community as well um, I was asked out on a date for the first time by uh, ah, romance Django nice. yeah so Django, um, <laughs> he's a clone. Be careful. <laughs> What'd you say? Did you go on the date? Um, well, I was a little taken back at first, and I really wasn't quite sure like what he was doing because he was just standing outside of my property, like with the little icon top of his head. So I'm like, "Why are you standing there like a weirdo?" So I went to talk to him, and it said there was an invitation icon. So I clicked the invitation. He said, "Shall we hang out tomorrow?" I'm like. Sure. And then he didn't ask me like which time worked best for me. He just gave me a time and that was it. So I felt like that was really forward and a little bossy. But you know what? I did give him a chance. And ironically enough, the play date or whatever they call it ended suddenly. I don't know what happened. I thought things were going well. I took him out to uh, brunch and got him paid for all the meals and all of his favorites so he, as well. he asked you out on a date and then yes. you took him out. <laughs> yes. Well, it, it wasn't a choice. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so I thought, okay, so it ended suddenly. I don't know what happened. I thought things were going well. And so the next day, he asked me out again. There was also, uh, I think her name's Emily was asking me out as well. But I decided to go with Django just because, you know, I was going to give him a second chance. Obviously, things happen life things come up so i'll give him another chance he did the same thing to me twice in a row this date suddenly paid ended. Again? I, I didn't take him out to dinner this time i think what did that what, what did i do i don't know i went somewhere like fishing with him or something like that i don't know i forget now because it was and he just it was left really turned around and yeah it was like out of your tackle box and he was gone you know what <laughs> that's what it was i was trying to go to someone we didn't even get to the place yet and um next thing i know it's the the date ended suddenly so i'm just like you know what that's the last shot. You know, you had your chance and, you know, so I moved on to Emily and, you know, things went really well until we got to the swing set. Um, apparently, I did not live up to her standards on the swing set. So, unfortunately, um, it uh, seems that we're just going to be friends. Okay. Well, <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, Brad, what have you been playing? Actually, what have you been playing that several of us have been playing? <laughs> Why don't you uh, tell us about that game and we will all talk about it. Yeah, I decided to pick up after seeing that you were playing it a little game that came out last week called Trek to Yomi, which is a side-scrolling action game developed by Flying Wild Hog, 
which is an interesting developer name, but they look like they have a good repertoire of games under their belts, which I can get into a little bit later. But I want to talk about Trek to Yomi first. It is a samurai game, a side-scrolling samurai game, kind of a revenge tale of a boy named Hiroki. Uh, He sees his sensei get killed early on, and it becomes a revenge tale in regards to protecting the sensei's daughter and his people or the people, the community, basically, from these bandits and everything. And it's a beautiful-looking game. I like the aesthetic. It looks like a Kurosawa film. They did a very good job of making it feel like samurai in the the way they frame the shots. I had a few issues with the way that some of the shots were framed where I couldn't see my character when dialogue was happening and everything. But for the most part, it became kind of repetitive to me. I wasn't the biggest fan of it. By the end of it, I did enjoy the, the look and some moments in it, some moments with the dialogue really cracked me up. And it was more so from the gameplay, in addition to the dialogue, where somebody told me I wasn't going to be able to get past them with their spear. And I just shot them with my new bow and arrow and the scene was over. And <laughs> cracked me up. So I had a really big moment with that. But by the fourth or fifth chapter, I was really feeling it drag along. I, I heard you beat it in one sitting, Aaron. And I'm kind of impressed by that because it took me two or three because I was getting more and more bored with it. Yeah, I did beat it in one sitting. It was about five hours, I want to say. I found it pretty captivating. I mean, I'm a big fan of the genre in film, specifically uh, Kurosawa-type samurai flicks. And aesthetically for me, it was just a complete win. It is a gorgeous game. It's black and white. The backgrounds, the sound, the way that the weather effects happen throughout the game and they kind of progressively get new ones in included in there. I just loved being in it and seeing it sure. on my screen. And I knew that it was short going into it. So I knew that it was only about a five hour game to get through. And I enjoy that quite a bit because I can just power on without worrying too much if it's not captivating me and keeping my attention i definitely feel what you're saying so for me you know the story i thought was pretty simplistic and bare bones it's just like Very you simple. said a simple revenge tale right it's yep okay go so save your village it's every samurai movie and it has a supernatural element to it which kind of made it interesting a little bit of a twist in the middle of it there won't go into details about how that plays out. I mean, it's in the name if you knew what the name went yep. going into the... <laughs> I did not know what the name meant going into the game, but uh, if I had Googled it, I would have, you know, had my pre-knowledge of it. But yeah, man, I, I mean, I liked it. I thought that it was refreshing because the combat wasn't super hard. So for me, I was able to essentially button mash my way through. I didn't have to get used to the the parrying system and perfect it. I did try something called one hit mode, or it's actually, I believe, called the Kinsei mode. So when you beat the game, you can go into New Game Plus. There's a hard mode called Ronin, but there's a Kinsei mode. And it makes it so that both your character and the enemy characters all die with one hit. And it really makes you lean into the combat system in this game because it's based on block, 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 and perfect counterattack. And for me, you know, going through it, I was able to manage that. It has incredibly frequent checkpoints and saves, which refill your health that I was very happy about. And so it wasn't, it was more of like I was enjoying playing the movie because I didn't have to worry about the difficulty. But this one hit mode, I lasted, I don't know, 
five minutes. And then I was like, yeah, not for me. Like, And part of that is also because if you've played like a Sekiro or some of the more difficult Dark Souls from software type games, they have similar counter mechanics and parry mechanics. But man, this game is not refined combat. Like, it is just, it's not that crisp and clean and the the animations aren't perfectly timed to the point where you feel like you're always going to get that parry right you can miss and so the one hit mode was just to me completely unfair and brutal and didn't add any value but i guess you know there are probably people out there that would like to play it that way and then i don't know the puzzle solving for me was kind of a a little bit of a joke joke? i I thought yeah (laughs) yeah like i don't know if kevin did you get to the puzzle solving i don't know how much you played this game I don't think so. I So I don't really know, unless I missed it, the supernatural side, and you don't need to spoil it or anything, but I think I played it for a good couple of hours, but it wasn't okay. holding my attention. I moved on to other things, so I loved the look of it, the aesthetic, and the black and white, the film, like the little film pops and things. Yeah, I, I really appreciated it from visual standpoint. I think it was very impressive, but gameplay-wise, and it, yeah, it just got to be kind of like I was playing a Devil May Cry game, you know, where you're just like, okay, I get it. Like, I'm hacking and slashing and i'm doing the same thing and so it it lost my interest i don't know if i'll finish it unless you tell me i have to for the story yeah the going back to the uh, abilities they they're very liberal with the abilities that you learn and in chapter seven there's the last chapter of the game they're still giving you new abilities but throughout the entire game i was essentially just doing the same thing over and over again on normal mode i would just parry the guy get behind him slash him a few times and a lot of them were one-hit kills, too. It, it became very repetitive, but it was it worked, so I kept doing it, and I was never inclined to ever use any of the new abilities. And there was probably a dozen, if not a couple dozen, of abilities that you learn throughout the thing. But I don't want to keep talking about things I didn't like. There was some really cool things where they give you kind of a fork in the path and where you're going, and you'd be rewarded if you take one of the other ways, and maybe you can wipe out a whole slew of enemies by environmental kills and stuff and finding being health upgrades and stamina upgrades and things like that but it always you know goes back to whether whatever path you take it gets you back to where it wants you to be to continue the story so i did appreciate that it did the one thing though that aaron and i talked about on the discord though that i absolutely hate in video games where a boss fight thought i was doing really well and then it forced me to lose that fight to continue the story. That was the end of Chapter 3. So if you didn't finish Chapter 3, you didn't really get to the supernatural element of the game. But what I did find out in further research was that you can win that fight as long as you don't get hit. And there's a secret ending. I don't know what that secret ending is, and I don't really care to go to play through it and try to find out. But I thought that was actually kind of kind of cool and to make up for the fact that I hated that I was forced to lose that fight. <laughs> you know, when I was it was going so well. And then suddenly I was like, oh, cutscene and it's over. Other than that, I ran into uh, quite a few bugs. I'm not going to list them off or anything that, again, with the combat, a lot of the inputs weren't working correctly for me. It was kind of making me more frustrated than anything. But yeah, that yeah, was my similar... experience. The, the puzzles were way too easy. The puzzles were simply just there's like three or four runes on the screen in various places and you have this little wheel and you just put the runes in the wheels. Like there's three wheels and you align the three runes that you see on the screen and that's it. And it was just one of those things where there's another game I'm playing at the moment that also has a similar, very simplistic, pointless puzzle mechanic. And it's, and it uses it in the same way. It's to unlock an open, open a door or a portal of some kind. And it was just like, this is, this is pointless. Like there's no challenge here. There's no skill involved. You are simply 
slowing me down by 30 seconds for what reason. And I I didn't think it made any sense from a narrative standpoint to be there. And I actually had issues with the pathing because I always go the wrong way. I try to get all the collectibles. And about midway through, there were a few paths where if you went the right way first by accident, (laughs) because in video games, you always go the wrong way first, right? Like that's the that's the rule. If you start the game, sure. the first thing you do is you turn around and walk backwards. Like you have to do that. But I accidentally went on the right path because there was no way to know. And I got locked out from being able to go back and check this branching path that I was just right there behind me. And that was frustrating to me because there's no chapter select on this game. So if you're in it to trophy hunt, you got to play through the whole thing if you miss a collectible. But if you haven't clicked the new, like you said, they're liberal with the uh, save points and the health refinishes. I did a lot of uh, of reloading. If I hadn't hit the new save point yet, and I oh, realized gosh. I probably shouldn't be here yet, I just reload my checkpoint and then go explore what I didn't. So there was a lot of that going on, too. Well, that's interesting. Overall, I had a pretty solid experience. It sounds sort of negative. I actually like the game, and I like the game because yeah. it's five hours. For me, it was short enough that I was able to like get through it. And I had a blast with, like I said, just being in that world, even though it does get extremely repetitive, even in the five hours. So it's seven chapters, about 45 minutes each. And you're going to fight the same type of enemies. You'll fight the same type of human enemies. Then you'll fight the same type of supernatural enemies, but it's just the same thing. And there's very little, you know, diversity there. Definitely very little diversity in the combat that you, you don't need to use it. Like Brad said, it's, the options are there. You can do all kinds of cool moves and stuff, apparently, but you just don't need to. So why would you? Why wouldn't you just mash your way through the game and finish it faster? So overall, I think it sounds like we were in a very similar place on Trek to Yomi. I mean, that's kind of how I game when it's like Mortal Kombat, for example. Like You can have all these fancy moves, but I just find the one move and I just use that over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> find what works. No, absolutely. Use what works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely in that same boat. I'm not a combo person. I, I, you know, I mean, I'll do the basic ones, but yeah, if I'm playing Mortal Kombat, I'm not learning 50 different moves. And in this game, when they were like, oh, you can do X, Y, Y, B, Y, I mean, you know, I just like, no, I'm not doing that. I, I just don't have the time to, my patience is not there for those kind of combos. Like, I'm trying not to die. You think I got time to do all these different combo move buttons? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, if they're necessary, it makes sense. But they're not in this. In, yeah, in yeah the if you can't move on or something, it's one thing. But yeah, if you're just telling me like, oh, but it's really cool if you do this spinning attack, whatever jump thing. It's like, no, I, I'm not going to learn to do that. I mean, But I it is. Like... It's basically like black and white limbo or side scrolling Ghost of Tsushima. So if those two things appeal to you, this is a game you should definitely check out. And it is on Game Pass, like Brad mentioned. So, you know, it's free to check out if you have a Game Pass subscription. So it's well worth, you know, that's the beauty of Game Pass. We will champion it, I think, all the time on this show. Kevin and I both, especially, you know, Kevin, that's why he able to played it for an hour or whatever and then said, nope, I'm going to move on. And Yeah, I love, I love the experience. I love that I got to appreciate the artwork. And some of the mechanics were really neat. I do like what Brad was mentioning, where you can go on a different path and you can pull a column out and make people fall from a bridge or whatnot. There's, there are ways to attack enemies and do more stealth, which, you know, one of my favorite games of all time is Metal Gear Solid. So if you can give me stealth mechanics and I can do sneaky stuff like that and not have to get right into combat, I'm always up for that kind of 
thing. And I did like going and getting power ups and and taking different paths. As we know, I'm, I'm more of a completionist where I like to explore every room and get every upgrade. And so I did enjoy going into all of the houses and trying to beat the enemies there and getting their upgrades and different weapons and things. But uh, yeah, there, it's a neat game that I'm glad I played. It didn't really hook me though. And that's that's the beauty of the old Game Pass. Well, what else did you play, Kevin? Because I know that you had a couple other experiences this week. Yeah, so I got to play two other Game Pass games, uh, which are were really fun. I will tell you the first one that I played the most and I was the most into, and that is called Turnip Boy Commits Tax Evasion. Have any of you heard of this game? Yeah, it's, it's called, on my list. What? No, but I really want I it now. It. Right? Okay, that title hooked me. First of all, it's a very cartoony world. Does where it you teach see... you how to do it? <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, the the main character is a turnip called Turnip Boy, and it's cartoony. They are different vegetables and fruit with eyeballs and talk. But the thing is, Turnip Boy does not talk. And so, first of all, the game is laid out like uh, The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past on Super Nintendo, which is one of my all-time favorite Super Nintendo games. So when I saw this and, and noticed the gameplay mechanics were just like A Link to the Past, I was super stoked. But it has the humor of something like a Borderlands. So you're in this Link-type world, but all the characters are very silly. They say ridiculous things, and you're talking to the mayor of the town or you're talking to a another uh, you're talking to carrots and you're talking to, to a watermelon and all these different type of fruits and vegetables but the game starts off where the mayor of the town is like you need to pay your taxes. You haven't paid your taxes. And so you're going to go to jail, basically, if, if you don't do all these quests. So you set out on your quests, and everyone you talk to is super silly or super ridiculous. But the, it, it's just, it's a really fun game. You go and you find a weapon. And then once you have a weapon, you learn all these different abilities. And so I was having a great time with not only the gameplay mechanics that I know and love from the Zelda-type games, but the, the dialogue. It's it's ridiculous. It's my type of humor where you're unlocking different items and they pop up on the screen like you found a whatever, and it's just something so goofy and 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 ridiculous and outlandish. I loved it. And there's this one scene where you go and talk to a pickle gang member where he's in a jar and he's like has two other little cronies. It's that type of humor where it's so absurd and ridiculous. Is the cucumber but... named Larry by chance? No, I don't think he is. No, I'm sorry to say. But Do you talk to but... tomatoes. <laughs> oh yeah there's tomatoes there's all sorts of different there's all sorts of fruits and vegetables in this game but it's it's really fun because as you go on you get all these different abilities like you're able to have warp points and uh they look like little vortex tornadoes one is uh, it's like portal which is basically what they're emulating i think you have an orange tornado and a blue tornado and you can travel between the two and so you have to learn how to get around different fences and obstacles and as you go through the game you're able to grow in water like one of the first quests is to get a watering can and then you can grow your own different blocks that you can push and fill in holes in the ground so you can walk over them then you get the warp points and you go between fences and things so it's a puzzle solving game it's an adventure game there are so many different elements and again the story is so entertaining where i found myself playing trek to yomi and i was thinking about turnip boy and just wanted to get back into that ridiculous world so highly recommend that one like i said it's it's also on game pass did you have any questions about it All i, I just want to be in the... also 50 percent off in the the on the nintendo switch and i just bought it uh, for 50 percent off. <laughs> yeah it's so fun You'll i just want to be in the pitch meeting of how this game was pitched like what if a turnip 
evades taxes and then just build a whole game around it <laughs> you know it seems so wild oh, yeah. but i'm looking at screenshots of him walking around this like you said link to the past kind of map even the trees and everything look like link to the past mm-hmm. and all these produce just standing around look, waiting to be talked to you know like, they, that's yeah they all they're just out there on the map and you talk to them and they have very silly things to say there was a little baby i think it was peas in a pod and there were the little of baby course. ones and and one of them said goo goo gaga i went to the second one it said goo goo gaga and i went to the third one and they're like well hello there gentlemen i can see that you're wondering why i am able to speak so eloquently like it's it's that kind of game it makes no sense that there's this one that can talk really well it, that makes perfect so, sense to me actually right i know exactly it's 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 totally on brand like my sense of humor and it, it makes the game very entertaining where you actually want to talk to the characters because they're so outlandish i really want to go back to the pickle in the jar with the mustache and like the gangster hat and he has his two cronies which i can't remember what they were i don't think they were pickles but he says i i took some screenshots of dialogue and i really wish that i had them they're still on my xbox i think but the the things that they say are so funny and it was cracking me up so that is a game i'm gonna be going back to next week and i would recommend if you if you have the chance to either play it on game pass or pick it up on sale on switch super super fun game and then another game that i played was called research and destroy and i thought this one was really interesting because it's like a real-time strategy game but it's also a first person game so the real-time strategy part of it is you have a timer and i believe each character has eight seconds to do anything so if you move if you fire your weapons but they set up this story in a really fun way again i love these games with their humor and borderlands is one of my favorites so when i refer back to that i love that style of humor but the world basically humans were wiped out and the demons and monsters and zombies were able to live in peace and harmony but then all the humans that were survived in underground bunkers started coming up and now the zombies are their world is getting turned upside down and you play these human scientists that were in these underground bunkers and so you have these different ray guns and and bombs that you throw but you have that eight seconds to move and then once your turn is over all your characters get eight seconds to do their movements and then the zombies get to attack you and respawn and do all their stuff and the goal is to either get uh, get to a, a van to escape or get to uh, different items that you're researching to try to help you on your journey and so each level that you get to is it's this 3d world and so i i really thought it was innovative the way that you have that strategy element but it also when you control the character you go into that first person mode and can choose to solve the level and destroy the enemies however you choose it was really neat have any of you guys heard of it or played this game no not here okay it's a new one on game pass (laughs) but it's another one where i don't know that unless someone recommended it to me, I wouldn't have seeked out Research and Destroy, but having now tried it, I really thought it was fun. I didn't have a whole lot of time to play it. I beat the second level, so the first level is kind of getting you through a tutorial, and you get to the van to escape, and the second level... Uh, you get to a I think you're at like a big mansion and that's where you have to go find this test tubes that you're researching and and so I beat that one and then I called it quits but I'm excited to jump back into that one too and I have to say like out of all the game pass games those including Trek to Yomi three games I really enjoyed two of the three and and Trek to Yomi I'm still glad that I got to check it out so a big endorsement on my part for game pass ultimate $15 a month or cheaper if we actually have a link on our discord where you can get game pass at a little bit of a discount but you get to play so many games and find some real gems in there 
Yeah, definitely agree. With that, that's pretty cool. So Brad, what else have you been up to? Anything? Or was it just Trek to Yomi for you? I'm about to wrap up my Uncharted splurge, our binge. I got one last trophy on Lost Legacy to beat the game on the hardest mode, and I will be done with that. I'm not going to touch the Vita one again. I touched it, or I picked it back up the other night for the first time since 2014 and just don't feel like doing all the gimmicky stuff in that in that game anymore. So Lost Legacy will be the, uh, the end of that binge, but that's it for me. What is the Uncharted plan? Are you going to be speedrunning? Is, is there a Donut Drake? involved in this one <laughs> i guess drake's no, not in this no, one so that he's not happen. in this one he's he's only mentioned sam is but uh no there's no speed run in lost legacy because it's one of those sony games that uh they made that's it's kind of i don't want to it's a full game but it's it's not to the uh extent of uncharted kind of like they did with miles morales and in infamous first light it's a it's a side game with half as many chapters but you know you can still put 30 to 40 hours into it because there's a lot of stuff to do in it the last trophy is beating it on crushing and i'm probably going to cheese it and just play with uh infinite ammo on because i didn't know i could do that on uncharted 4 and it would have made my crushing mode so much easier than it had to have been but i'm ready to be done with uncharted for a while and move on to to other things so i'm gonna get through crushing on that and call it a wrap sounds good well, congratulations a little bit early because that's an amazing achievement. I would never Thank even you. attempt it. Speaking of attempting things, uh, based on some extreme, unfortunate, like piling on that happened in the last podcast and combined with my friends and you guys all telling me that <laughs> you're welcome, <laughs> telling me that it wasn't okay to consider me myself done with a game and c- call it beaten unless I killed the final 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 boss i was frustrated at that and after a month and a half of not touching it i decided to pick up metroid dread and give this jerk a shot and like three attempts into it i beat him (laughs) you know it's funny how that 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 always happens right where you just need to take a break and I mean, I rewatched a video to kind of refamiliarize myself with the routines. I'd already seen all three phases, so I wasn't looking ahead, but I wanted to be sure I had, you know, I had to get my muscle memory back down for the different move sets and stuff. And it was shockingly just easier to get into a flow than I had been in the last time. So I think it's it's a real problem when you are played a game for a long time and you get frustrated with the boss your headspace can just completely mess you up and it affects your timing it affects everything you're doing and so i just was you know going at it and was able to beat him and roll credits and i was super proud so i do appreciate the nudge essentially that i got from you guys on the show last week and from my friends who wouldn't allow me to get by with (laughs) saying that I had GG'd this game. Uh, Metroid Dread is amazing. So just a real quick kind of, you know, snapshot review of sorts. But if you haven't played it, it really is one of the best Metroidvania games that has ever been made. It is absolutely gorgeous, stunning looking and stunning movement on the switch it's one of the best technical games that they've put out and it just really expertly takes that formula and makes it into this gameplay loop that you don't want to stop playing the way that the different abilities are spaced out for you to acquire the different boss fights that you go through they're a perfect blend of 
challenge and nostalgia. Some of them are throwback versions of boss fights from some previous games. The story itself, I've never cared about Metroid stories personally and the lore. You know, it's whatever. I'm just trying to collect all the stuff, get as powerful as I can and beat the bosses and make my Samus into a, a superheroine, right? But it, it was always interesting to acquire a new ability. And then you'd go back, of course, like you do in a Metroidvania and explore the areas you've always already been through and get your missile upgrades and your energy tank upgrades and, you know, go through this one door. But this game is specifically different because it has an added element called the Emmys. It's capital E, capital M, capital M, capital I, and it, it stands for something. But essentially, they're these little like robot guardians of this planet. And throughout the game, there's, I want to say, four of them, maybe. They have zones of the game. So you'll come into a zone, and this Emmy will be patrolling this zone. And it will hunt you down. So it has like super radar. Some of them move really fast. Some of them can turn into balls. They have different abilities that progressively get more challenging to avoid. And you have to essentially go into survival mode. So you have to run through these zones and sneak through these zones and go invisible and really stealth your way or whatever through these areas in order to unlock a super weapon that can be used one time. And then you have to kind of go back in and bait it into a perfect position so you can take it down. And when you take it down, you get an ability upgrade, and also then you can explore that area. But it's a really cool diversion from the normal Metroidvania formula where it's chill. You're just kind of flowing through levels, exploring, having fun, and then all of a sudden you are in this super-duper-duper duper intense life-or-death situation, and it's completely antithetical to the normal flow of the game that you would be looking in every nook and cranny you can't do that you have to get away from this thing it's like uh like a resident evil game like nemesis is chasing you or something it is exactly like yes it's very reminiscent of like is that resident evil 2 remake that's the one i'm thinking of or a big three boy is what my okay well it's yeah same yeah, three. similar thing i think in two my kids Maybe it's not Nemesis. Yeah, I forgot Mr. His X. name, but no, you're right, Mr. Yeah, X. Mr. Yeah, X, my kids tyrant, are yeah. like terrified <laughs> because you know you hear the footsteps and all of a sudden, and then boom, he's there, and you're like, oh my god! But yes, it's that exact same feeling, and everything about this game I was reading was it's so difficult, it's so difficult, it's not Hollow Knight level difficult, but it's like one of the more difficult Metroidvanias, which was a bit of a put off for me, and I almost didn't play it because that's not my thing i don't like difficulty but i'm so glad i did because it never took me until the final boss never took me more than 45 minutes to master a boss and it's just a satisfying feeling that's why it's been a staple mechanic of video games is mini boss fights you know since their existence is because that hit you get that energy and that high from success is something you want to get again you want to feel that again and this game gave it to me like very few games have in a long time and it is easily one of my favorite games of the switch it'll go into that kind of pantheon of top tier games that i recommend to people when they say what are the best games on switch to get so if you haven't checked it out and you like metroidvania games it is an absolute must and i will segue that into a nintendo connection real quick just to say a book came out that i have been waiting on anxiously for a while now it's called Disrupting the Game, 
and it's the biopic self-memoir by Reggie Philami, who was the Nintendo of America president for many, many years. He is a gamer legend, uh, as far as people are concerned, one of the absolute best suits to ever work in the gaming industry, did so much amazing stuff for Nintendo, and I read through it in three days, or listened through it in three days on Audible. It's a lot more business focused, and that's kind of what I want to point out here is for anybody who knows about it, it's the kind of book that is about him teaching how he went through life in his various stops. He was at Procter & Gamble. He was at Pizza Hut, Panda Express, things I did not know. He was working his way up as a brand manager long before he got to Nintendo, and it's got a lot of these little like nuggets and business lessons, but they're very digestible. And each one ends with a little section at the back of the chapter that is called uh, a takeaway, or I think he's called the, it's called the so what point where he's like, so what? Well, here's the piece of advice. This is what I'm trying to tell you about how to be a leader, about how to approach this situation. And it's, it's the kind of advice that you can easily parlay into your own life experience, your own career, whatever that may be. Many of these stories were. So it it was really good stuff. The the Nintendo-focused stuff was obviously my favorite. Learning about his relationship with some of the Japanese uh, higher-ups in that company that we have come to know and love and adore and just how his whole experience of engaging in that culture and then leading it from America was um you know he talks about being a gamer himself it's funny you talked about a link to the past kevin he talked about how he became a gamer with the super nes he didn't have a nintendo but he had a super nes he became obsessed with it i want to say it was in college and he owned he said over 70 games he 100 percented them all he was a completionist freak so he would never stop until he had full completion of a game and and then a link to the past was his favorite game, and yeah. he bonded with his son over it. He even tells a story in the book about his son playing a boss on his save file uh, because his <laughs> son couldn't get there. It's a, it's a really cute story. Uh, it's really really good. It's really worth listening to, in my opinion, or reading. It's read by Reggie himself. If you get the audio book, and he is one of the most articulate, well spoken people you will ever hear. He has a super calming voice. And for me, it was really easy to understand listening to these lessons, how people could fall under his leadership and and how that helped him in his career to get where he was. It wasn't about advancement for himself. Um, He really does put other people first. And he really does think about things in a critical way that is a, a very good positive thing that we all should take away from that. And the last thing is that the audiobook has a special bonus 50 minutes of content, which is a recorded interview conversation between him and Jeff Keeley, where they talk about their history together, about E3 events that they did, about the Game Awards, and it's very much more gaming-focused for that 50 minutes as they reminisce. And it was, it was a real joy to listen to that part in particular, some stories and things that I remember. Uh, witnessing firsthand. So I I think it's great. And anybody who's a Nintendo fan or anybody in the business world, really, for both of those, it's worth reading. That sounds awesome. 
Just yesterday, Nintendo dropped a new Indie World showcase. They have been doing this a lot lately with their Indie World events where they don't really give us a lot of notice. They're just like, hey, guess what, guys? This is coming tomorrow at 7 a.m. Surprise. And I always get excited to see the same couple of things, and I never see those things. But we did get a bunch of games revealed in like a quick 20-minute showcase, which was a lot of fun. And there were uh, quite a few, just ton of indie, different different genres and different types of games. So if you guys got a chance to see this, I wanted to ask you first, is there anything that stood out to you in this Nintendo Indie World from May 11th? I took note of quite a few. Um, I'm not really big into indies when they come when they're coming out, you know, and when it comes to these uh, indie showcases, like for the last couple of years, it's all been about where's Hollow Knight, Silk Song. <laughs> so always let down that there's no news on that yet. No, I, I took note of quite a few of them um, that caught my eye just for the art style mostly. I don't like a lot of card games um, besides Inscription last year, but Wild Frost looked like it could be a lot of fun. There was one just by the title alone called Gumbrella. It was like a cowboy, um, and it's by uh, being published by Devolver Digital, which is made all they made Trek to or they published Trek to Yomi and all kinds of other good games in the past several years. But I love um, Devolver. Yeah, so that you know, just by name alone, uh, how cool Gunbrella sounds, and then being published by Devolver, that kind of got my attention there. Silt was like some kind of underwater exploration game. It was black and white. I really love the art of how that looked. It kind of reminded me of Limbo, a game I played last year called Gris, another game published by Devolver, but also a little game by Insomniac uh, several years ago, maybe 2015, called Song of the Deep. I don't know if anybody's played that or not. That kind of caught my attention. I think that's actually coming on all platforms in June. And then uh, Wayward Strand kind of reminded me of Jesse because it's a hospital game. <laughs> I don't know. It sounded like uh, it nice. sounded kind of cool. Yeah, where you're a little girl named Casey and she's going around and kind of getting to know the people at the hospital. I don't recall what the objective of the game was, but it was kind of cool because you can if eavesdrop she wasn't on the doctors. Them, it's not me. Yeah, <laughs> but that's that's coming out in July. And then the last one that before they did a montage of other things was a Souls-like game uh, where you play as a crab. And I thought that looked really, if anything, really fun to play. Just going around fighting things as a crab, picking up bottles and whatever you can to use as a shell. But those are the ones that stood out, to me at least. What about you guys? Yeah, I think the one that you mentioned, the ship hospital, <laughs> that yeah. one did look really cool to me. You know, and I haven't, I don't really like look through the whole, to, like the whole trailers of everything. But like the silt one, I immediately thought of Limbo and the other one that's like, a, uh, I forget what the other one was called, like Inside, I think. Fantastic games. I don't know how similar it's going to be, but as far as the art style, it reminded me a lot of it. There was one I forgot to mention called We Are OFK or Of K. It's, it's going to be a weekly episodic game. Uh, it kind of reminded me of Life is Strange, um, just for the episodes, really, not the art. But apparently it's from what I understand, a real virtual band, and it's like a game about them coming together. I I don't really understand what it is yet, but it, the art style and everything looked really interesting and looked like it was going to be episodic and kind of caught my attention as well. Yeah. Yeah, the um, other one I was looking at was Wild Frost. That was the one that was mentioned as well by you. It sounds like a builder game, so and you can you know customize and upgrade companions. So, and it, like with the cards, yeah, but I think with this one, it's kind of, it makes me feel like it could be similar to kind of like pokemon type thing so yeah i'm always caught with that <laughs> yeah it looked interesting enough and i thought it if anything it was just cute 
Yeah. It's my most anticipated game out of this by yeah. far. I'm I adore roguelike tactical card games, deck builders, uh, Slay the Spire, Monster Train, you name it. If I wasn't so addicted to playing new games and trying to finish everything, I would spend all my time just wasted in losing runs of Slay the Spire over and over and over. It's a genre that I love, and this looks like a Slay the Spire and Grindstone mashup to me. The art style is more of a Grindstone cartoony look. Uh, Grindstone's great if you haven't played that. It's a Peggle like roguelike where you drop different classes warrior made whatever and they you know bounce off of different pegs as they go down and it's got a slay the spire mechanic where they're you know trying to go through different rooms and you're upgrading equipment as you go at such but yeah wild frost was easily my kind of game of the show and gumbrella was the best name i think of any <laughs> game on the showcase for sure you know, it looks like a lot of fun to me. It looks like Spelunky. And then the crab one. So I think we really like the same things. The crab Souls-like is just hilarious. I, I could not have laughed harder about that game. And anytime somebody just takes a formula that we know and love and puts a really weird twist or coat of paint on it, I think it's indie heaven <laughs> to, to try that out. And Silt... I thought about Limbo as well. It looked like a mix of Limbo and Abzu to me. One of the From Software games where oh you my gosh, are. Abzu. Yeah. Where that. you're like exploring was... underwater. And so that I one was fun. And Aleckhead was my other one. I thought Aleckhead looked really good. It's just a cute little puzzle platformer indie game. And I will play like any little cute puzzle platformer <laughs> that you want to put in front I... of me. Abzu I was thought it looked cute. interesting. It was heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, Alekhead was, was one that like the gameplay looked a lot of fun, but the color palette of it just it was it wasn't appealing to me. And I understand why they're doing because you're uh, you're an electric guy and you're powering everything on. But just being the dark colors and just a a faded orange whenever you power it on, and maybe that changes the further you get into the game. And again, the gameplay looked great, but I just I felt like I don't know that I'm going to enjoy playing that. It has a Mega Man vibe, but like you're right, a very muted color palette. Lots of grays and kind of yellow and orange. Yeah. And darker tones. Kevin, did you just like the stuff we liked or was there anything different? Or I'm pretty much on Aaron's list. I mean, Gun Gunbrella is my number one, but I really love that type of gameplay. So it, that's going to be my most anticipated. Wild Frost, though, I'm right there with you. I think that's going to be really cool as well. And the Crab one, that's just hilarious. I, I, I'm always up for the mixture of different genres, like you said, and especially if they have that humor element to it. The writing in these games, the creativity and the humor is what can really hook me in a new game like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm all on board for that. Well, the last thing I want to talk about from a news standpoint is we are a few weeks away now from quote summer June and with June comes what used to be the normal E3 event where game companies would get together and show off new trailers and give us all sorts of reveals of tech and updates etc and E3 has been kind of absent in recent years it has tried to shift more to a digital presence when COVID hit. And unfortunately, this year it has been announced that E3 is canceled completely. So it's going from digital only in 2021 to nothing in 2022. 
What we will still have that we are for sure aware of is an Xbox and Bethesda 90-minute showcase on June the 12th. Not sure what they're going to talk about now since they just delayed their two big games that are supposed to come out this year, and they're not anymore. Uh, And then we're also going to have Summer Games Fest Year 3, which was created by the aforementioned Jeff Keighley, a longtime host of game-related shows on TV, and then he was involved in E3 presentations, and he started the Game Awards about a decade ago. And then this newest passion he has set forth on the world three years ago was the Summer's Games Fest. And, I mean, there's no bones about it. Like, it was billed and created to be a competitor to E3 and has its strengths, it has its weaknesses, but he has been able to start pulling more and more big-name quality stuff. Last year, this is where we got to see our first Elden Ring big gameplay reveal. So that's going to kick off on June 9th. I want to say it runs about a week. Um, I can't remember if it, 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 there's like pieces of it that go throughout the week, but there's like one big event on June the 9th. And that big event this year is actually going to have an IMAX showing. You can go see it in a theater, which is, I don't know. I, I don't know. I really hesitate personally to think that they're going to be able to have their videos running at a clip that I care to see in IMAX. That I need to do that. It just doesn't. But he's ambitious. He's nothing if not ambitious. He will always push the envelope, and I appreciate that. And so I just wanted to get you guys' feel on this. Like, how do you react to E3 being canceled? Do you think it's ever coming back? Is it gone forever? Are you cool with the new direction? Are there games you guys are looking forward to finding out more about this summer? Some predictions? Like, I just want to open the floor to all of that. If it being canceled means that it's inevitably canceled for good, it makes me even more bummed about 2020 because that was supposed to be my first year that I was going to be there. And now I'll really have never got to go to E3. Yeah. As a, no. cons- like as a public or as a press, just what as are you going to be doing? Well, I was going to be tagging along with somebody who was there as a vendor. He asked me months in advance if uh, I wanted to go with him. And I was like, sure, why not? And 2020 happened. And now if E3 is done, then I don't have a chance to ever go. That's so terrible. But, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's okay. No, I just thought I'd throw that little tidbit in. But as far as what I'm looking forward to, I'm sure at this point, I've I've heard rumblings that uh, Final Fantasy 16's trailer is is done or is close to coming out. So I don't, I can't imagine it'll come out between now and then. That like that would be the perfect opportunity to really show us what they're doing with that game because all we've had so far is a preview, right, from maybe a year ago, and it, it wasn't a whole lot. And then it was just radio silent until until now. There's all the talk of Naughty Dogs working on something. Uh, we know we're getting a Last of Us remake. I think that's confirmed. But a Last of Us remake, Last of Us 2 director's cut, they still haven't pushed that up to PS5 yet. And then Factions, everybody's still looking for that. So that's a possibility. I just realized all my information here, or all my once here, PlayStation side. Um, if Ragnarok is coming out this year, God of War, maybe we'll get a big showcase there. But now I'm starting to wonder if Sony will just do their own thing between now and whenever as well. You know, this might be more independent publishers rather than first party exclusives. But yeah, but my list was Final Fantasy 16, something with The Last of Us, Ragnarok, PSVR 2 is supposed to come out this holiday. So it'd be a nice opportunity to showcase some of that stuff. But again, could just be a Sony, sh- Sony. A Sony showcase like Xbox and Bethesda is doing. So. That's all I have on my list at the moment. I mean, you're not alone. I haven't been either. And 
you know, now that I've started to get into the streaming world, um, I'm starting to look forward to those kinds of events. So seeing that it's canceled and potentially like maybe forever, I don't know. Um, that seems really sad to me that, you know, cause I was getting excited to be able to kind of like participate in all these different things, but I have a hard time believing anything's ever truly dead when it comes to that. Like when it's so big, you know, when it's been such a big thing each year and yeah, I just really have a hard time believing it's going to be dead forever. So hopefully it'll come back and then we can all go. <laughs> yeah. I like the optimism. Thank you. I think, I think someone will pick up the slack if, if yeah. E3 and however it was existing, if, if it's done for, someone will pick it up. There's always going to be room for these big conventions and people coming and getting hyped about games. I, I think there, you know, there will be something and it, this has just been a really hard couple of years and they've, all these developers have also realized that you don't always need to go to this one thing. You can have your own showcases and I've never been to E3 either, so it would be fun. But on the other hand, I I watch the videos of the live streams of different announcements and I really enjoy that. So to me, it's not I like that it exists. It's not really affecting me because I haven't been and, and don't have necessarily plans for going. But I but I do like that people have a place to go and play things hands-on and get excited about games. And we'll look forward to going to whatever, whether it's E3 or the next thing eventually. Yeah, so I actually have a very different opinion, I guess, on it. Or not opinion, but prediction, maybe. And I, I think it is dead. I think it's gone. I think that the way that the event was structured, it existed for kind of two purposes and it's not a con. That's the difference is it's not packs. It's not meant for fans to come to and spend all their time getting to know the games. It is a, an event and a showcase for game developers to come together and for them to be able to kind of peddle their stuff together and share and an outward facing showcase to the world. But as we've gotten to this internet age, it, you don't need the audience there. The audience is inconsequential to this. Like they have proven now that digital events can be just as compelling and work just as well. And I, I truly think that with Jeff getting these publishers now, he's had the ability to do that. I think this is a huge year. Like you, Brad, my list is all Sony stuff and Sony may not even participate, but I think Final Fantasy 16 very well could be the thing, the Elden Ring at Games Fest. I really do. Like you said, the trailer is done. We've got confirmation of that. It's the perfect one to put there. And then they can do their own showcase to show off Ragnarok. And I expect some Marvel Spider-Man 2, some Marvel Wolverine, maybe some quick teasers of that that go beyond just announcements from Insomniac. The Last of Us remake was on my list. I'm almost... 100% sure they're going to reveal that. But I think that with Jeff getting three years under his belt of essentially an E3 killer, if they're doing that electronic, not electronically, digitally, right, for the world, they don't, basically, they don't need E3 is what I'm getting at. They don't need someone to organize it for them. Xbox does it themselves now. So they don't need somebody else to like tell them, you can come on at this time on our stage, yada, yada, Xbox, I can do it whenever I want. I'm making my own rules and it's worked just fine. It's worked for Sony. It's worked for Nintendo. So if the big three don't need them, if Summer Games Fest is picking up the slack and covering a whole bunch of the indie stuff, I just don't see the purpose because networking has become 
digital as well within, in a COVID world. We've started to get used to that. So I, I would be shocked if it came back. My Nintendo predictions are simply that I am going to will this into being. I think that since we're not getting Breath of the Wild 2, that they are going to give us the Wind Waker and Twilight Princess yep. Switch ports. I'm begging them to do that since Wind Waker is my favorite Zelda game. But I, I just it makes sense to me that they would need to get Zelda out this year. You need to put a Zelda out in the in the... 12 month period or whatever. And if you're not going to have breath of the wild too, then this would be a great thing to fill that void. And I think hollow Knight silk song, <laughs> I'm just going to keep predicting that too, until it happens that and sports story. That was my other indie that I mentioned earlier that I, I'm always looking forward to. It's the sequel to a Nintendo indie game called golf story. That is phenomenal. And only this one's going to kind of broaden it into a whole bunch of other sports. And they announced it. It was due out like a year and a half, two years ago. And then it just, it fell off and never came out and we haven't got any new updates on it. And it's very sad. So I would like to see more on that. What do you think, Kevin? Am I, am I crazy here? Am I off base in thinking that it isn't going to come back? No, I mean, I, again, I, I do feel like with all the different showcases they do and digitally, it works very well. So I can see how, if it doesn't come back that they can handle it, but I don't know. I still think there's something about, being there in person, even though I've never been to an E3, but I've been to CES, I've been to other show, other type of trade shows, and I do think there is something about networking and and being hands on with things. I don't. It just feels to me like I don't know. Maybe I'm just optimistic about things. I, I don't want things to go completely digital, right? Like it's talking to people face to face and being able to try the different games and electronics and VR and whatever they're doing. I don't know. I I, I think that there is still a room for that. Yeah, I agree. I think that when it comes to the digital side of things, like especially us all experiencing the quarantine, like I just can't believe that we're going to be like, oh, no, we don't need it. We could just be digital. Like people are going to want to be social. Like a lot of people would do these things for the social aspect of it as well as the hands on. That's really important, I think. And I, I don't know. I, I kind of am hoping and thinking that maybe because of all the hardships and everything, and obviously it takes a lot of money to run these things. So I'm thinking maybe they're just going to take this year off, kind of rerun some numbers, you know, re-strategize, come up with a new new plan with the new world, essentially is what it's become. And, you know, kind of find how to continue to grow, not only main, like, because you can't stay the same in the world that quarantine and COVID has caused us. So I think I'm hoping that maybe they're just like getting their business plans in order and kind of rethinking how they do things and coming back, you know, in a, in a new betterish way, at least from a social aspect and hands-on aspect of it. I definitely think that, you know, that would be important, but if not, maybe, you know, they come back after they have their year off and it crashes down and then they just give up baby at that point. <laughs> so two. 2023 when they open up again we all gotta go because that might be the last time <laughs> <laughs> yeah no thank you for me I, I have zero desire to go to an e3 like you said it's a trade show that was the word i was trying to find earlier yeah, compared uh, yeah i guess to it depends on i go to pax yeah. every year and that's that's what i want i want to walk around and play all of the games and i want to go to panels etc yeah. and e3 is built for trade it's not built for fans it's not and it does not exist in that same way yeah it definitely um, has to fit a certain audience you know somebody like you obviously isn't gonna find much uh um value in it whereas like other people that you know like i i definitely feel like i would find value in it partnering up with you know networking with the designers and, and whatnot versus like truly like a con 
um, would offer. So I, I think it depends on like who you are. And there's honestly so many different um, companies out there that would that do network. And that's kind of the, you know, I've worked in industries where we go to these giant conventions that are just for the industry. But because there's just such a large amount of them involved, like that's kind of what they're mostly for. So I, I, and I think that that's, you know, still has a lot of value for even people that aren't necessarily in the industry, but can, you know, benefit from that industry and networking within it. Fair, for sure. All right. Well, before we go, quick reminder that Kevin has, Kevin has generously put up a copy of Cyberpunk 2077 for one lucky winner, someone who has left us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your podcast app of choice, but we definitely want them on Apple Podcasts. So if you have the ability to leave them there, we would be much appreciated. We're going to have that run through the month of May. Is that right, Kevin? Yeah, get those reviews in. Uh, it's something that will really help the show grow and, and help people when they're going and scrolling through all the categories if they see ones with the reviews. Uh, we really want to, especially as we're ramping this show up again and want to get all these listeners and uh, get get those in this month because, yeah, we'll put the deadline on there to try to get some more. All right, so you got to the end of the May. Get your reviews in there. If you do it on an app other than Apple Podcasts, please Hit us up on social media and let us know that you did that so we can be sure and count it. And then we will do a drawing and let one of you know and get you your game. If you like what you hear, please also subscribe, tell all your friends, share the show, follow us on social media, share our links. All of that stuff helps us grow and we are very grateful. Thank you for listening. This podcast is for you and we hope you're enjoying it. We'll be back soon, but until then, do what we do. Get out there and fall in love with the game.